Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, COV. We are continuing our sermon series called Proving Ground as we study trials and suffering in the Church of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go through, and we have been going through, the book of 1 Peter. Today, we're going to study what many misunderstand, which is our holiness and our effort, and how our holiness and effort parallel one another while holiness comes before our effort, at least eternally. So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and here's what it says. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter begins with, therefore. And what do we always say when we see this? What is the therefore, therefore? Well, he's pointing back to what he has just communicated, which we covered last week in the sermon But in particular, he's talking about the value of the gospel and how important it is that we hear and understand it. So Peter then says in verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. With minds that are alert and fully sober, these are active words that require our effort rather than being oblivious or not under control. This is an encouragement from the Apostle Peter to these exiled Christians that they have actions that they can actually be doing and can embrace the grace that they're found in in Jesus Christ while setting their hope in Him and Him alone, no matter the circumstances. So we as a church need to be alert and sober-minded, especially if any of you are watching the news today or this week. We need to make sure that we are safe. We need to keep others safe by being informed and weighing risks as they come up. We also need to be sober-minded, not under compulsion or emotionally charged because of all the different things that are happening in society today that we watch on the news. And as Peter speaks to these exiled Christians who have dealt with a corrupt government and fear of being imprisoned or even worse, executed for their faith, they must stay alert and sober-minded. So Peter goes on, he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Look ahead for what is in store for you in the net result of your faith, which is Jesus Christ. And we can, and they could, only be alert and sober-minded because their perspective was one of eternity, not just today. The early church made the second coming of Christ, the reality that Jesus is coming back, something that made them very urgent. They absolutely, with all of their hearts, expected Jesus to come right back in their lifetime. But he didn't. But do you think they were disappointed? Not at all. Because when they left this life, their life eternally was what was waiting for them, which produced joy that overshadowed any past disappointment or any past struggles. This letter speaks a lot about Jesus being revealed and his, this future time where Jesus Christ will return. But what can we take away from that today in 2020, in July, during the most unprecedented pandemic in all of history? We can take this and we can understand this today, that Jesus will come back one day. And even though we talk about this and we know that we shouldn't be passive, that we should be expectant, the reality is that the world is not our home. And we can put faith in our living hope in Jesus Christ, who has defeated death and reigns and rules over the kingdom of God in which we are adopted and drafted into. So Peter goes on, verse 14. 
He says it this way, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter uses the term obedient children. This is what those who have trusted Christ are. We have been entrusted faith by Jesus, and as we follow him, we are obedient children. We do not do this in our own strength. We don't do this our own way. Jesus bids us to follow him, not the other way around. So as obedient children, we are the ones who look to God's word, leading through God's spirit to have a disposition of obedience rather than rebellion. Do not conform to the evil desires you and I had before Christ indwelled our hearts when we lived and functioned in ignorance, not acknowledging or believing that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. We all have the propensity to circle back, to do what we once knew, like a dog returning to his vomit, as the proverb says in Proverbs 26, verse 11. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. It's graphic, it's gross language to accentuate the reality that that is not what the Spirit does in his people. That is all flesh, that is all us going back to what we once were. And so Peter warns against such folly, or really sin, because you have been enlightened. The veil has been removed. We are no longer in ignorance because God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ and able to see the truth. So in verse 15, Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. This is often quoted, and honestly, when we quote this verse, it's often misinterpreted. As we said two weeks ago, our works don't make us holy. God sees us as holy because of Jesus. And because of that, we can do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that is what Paul means when he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's simply this, our holiness is because of possession, not because of our effort. And we get to live this out through obedience. Let me put it this way, our holiness is not about our effort, but it is embracing our identity in Jesus Christ. That is what makes us holy, that we have found our identity in Jesus and Him alone. So we want you to know what sets us apart in Christianity. We want you to think about the reality that what sets a Christian apart from any other faith system is that we are made holy because of God's grace, rather than attempting to earn grace through anything holy that we do. And so because of this, when Peter says, he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do, this is not moral modification that is required of God's people. It is embracing God as our authority and doing what he says through his word. Holiness is an act of obedience to the Holy One, not rule following for our justification. Holiness is an act of obedience to the Holy One, not rule following for justification. So in verse 16, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus 11:44, where where the Lord says, I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Our holiness is completely reliant on God's possession of us. 
If we aren't His, we are not holy. Let me say that again. If we are not His, if we are not God's possession, we are not holy, no matter how many good deeds we do or attempt. And this is the fundamental truth of our faith as Christians. Our effort matters, but only in obedience to Jesus Christ, who justifies us through grace. Not work so that no one will boast, but instead will praise Jesus for all that he has done so that we can have our life and breath and do everything for him. In verse 17, Peter says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Peter says, since you call on the father, in some translations it says, if you call on the Father, as to say, since you are a Christian, or if you are a Christian, because as followers of Christ, we call on the Father. We pray to Him, we pray and trust Him, and we are shielded by Him. He is not a distant deity, but He is an involved Father. He is a daddy, which is what we know as Abba and he is involved in our lives. And since we call on him, we trust that he knows how to judge our actions. He doesn't look at what we do as much as he looks at the heart behind our actions. So we trust that God knows what we do and why we do it. And there's nothing that we do for the Lord that will not get noticed by him. Even if the world doesn't see it, that does not matter because we live for our audience of one, truly. One who knows us, knows our work, and knows our motivation. So Peter says, live out your time here as foreigners, known as tourists, who are passing through with reverent fear, with a sense of awe for God, allowing that to be your motivation for all that you do, rather than attempting to earn anything. In verse 18, Peter goes on and he says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Our salvation, the most important gift that has ever been granted to us, is not something that we secured by any of our own effort or actions, by any monetary or created thing, but let's see how it was found in us, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, it's completely and unashamedly we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, by the sacrificial blood of the lamb that was shed so that you and I who are guilty could go free. The innocent one willingly traded his life for yours and mine. And because of the great exchange, We have access to our heavenly Father because of His perfect Son. This is scandalous if you think about it. Spiritually, we are corrupt. We are without any redeemable qualities in and of ourselves but God. See, the good news always has a but God, and it's never a but I, because we bring excuses and God brings results. But God. In verse 20, Peter says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus was chosen. I love this. In other translations, He is foreknown. This language lends itself to God's control and His all-knowing nature. He chose Jesus. Why? Because Jesus being God was the only way to make man right with God. 
We didn't need a politician or a spiritual guru. We needed a savior to step in for us, to exchange his life for ours. And he had to be perfect because anything less than perfection could not be in God's presence. But this sacrifice, because Jesus was willing to obey his father's will perfectly, his sacrifice was without blemish or defect, and it was acceptable. It was an acceptable sacrifice for all of mankind that those who would look to Jesus would be grandfathered in, if you will, to this deserving right standing with the Father that only Jesus could secure for us. If I could pound one thing into everyone who listens to these sermons, it's this. It is that God in Jesus got what we deserved Jesus didn't just die. Jesus died because of us and for us so that we would be, we would have the opportunity to get what Jesus deserves, which is right standing, access and a personal relationship with God. The great exchange, the gospel message is salvation for those who will hear. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus, and nothing will ever mean more to our eternity than embracing this truth, because when we understand it, we fall in love with God. We fall in love with Jesus, who did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. So when we think and meditate on this reality, how can we not respond in praise and in joy because we are His and He is ours? And he has been revealed in these last times, known as the time between Jesus' first coming when he was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life and died on a cross and rose from the dead and then, uh, then ascended to heaven, and the second coming, which means that he will come back, and the scriptures say that he will come back on a white horse, he will come as the Redeemer, the Savior, but also the Judge. And in verse 21, Peter says, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. You and I have breath in our lungs and love in our hearts and praise on our lips because God has willed all of that. And we believe and trust in him because Jesus made the way possible. His resurrection and his glorification are what we hold on to. They point us to our faith and hope in our God. Verse 22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now that you have purified yourselves. This is language that we can misunderstand because we can look at this from a perspective of earning rather than receiving. But our purification is the result of God's gift and our receiving. And even the receiving isn't something that we do through our own effort. It is through faith, which is exercise salvation that is gifted to us by God. And this purification does not happen through our good works or acting holier than thou, but by our love-fueled obedience to the word of God. It is through our love-fueled obedience to the word of God. I want you to remember that. Here's the thing about this book. Here's the thing about this book. See, this book, like the bindings and the maps and the words written on pages and the paper, does not bring life. The author and the subject of this book does. 
And he is Jesus. And when we read this book with the intent to want to love God back for all that God has done for us, we obey him. We do what he says, and it is supernatural, and it purifies and refines us to look more like him. When I came to COV about a little over three years ago, I didn't want our church to be the most moral I didn't want our church to be known as the most educated. I dreamed of a community that cared about looking more like Jesus. And we believe that happens when we obey God at his word for the right reasons. No more, no less. We give praise to God for his salvation and we love him back through our obedience. So as we obey the truth of his word, So that, Peter says, you have sincere love for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Love for one another or each other is this constant theme in the New Testament in particular. And Jesus says that people will know us by our love for one another. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says to the disciples, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. We can claim we are a Christian. We can share about the church that we attend. We can even evangelize and tell others that Jesus is Lord. But the evidence of our relationship with Jesus is how we love one another. Now, many take this one another to mean everyone. And there is a case to be made for that. But How we love people outside of the church, which is very important, is not specifically what Jesus was talking about or what Peter is talking about here. What John says, or what Jesus says and John records, has to do with the each other. It's the one another's, which is those who proclaim to love the same Lord that you do. Even if our understanding of God and theology doesn't completely line up, if they believe in Christ, if they believe they're saved by grace, which is getting what you do not deserve, through faith, which is God gifted to you that you can exercise in Christ, if you are saved by grace through faith in Christ, they're your brother, they're your sister in the faith. But we, we are to love these brothers and sisters and we are to care for their needs above our own. Now, I can be the first to admit that I don't always do this. I struggle with this, especially in a season right now where I'm talking to other pastors and it seems like there are other pastors who have more training than I do, they have more experience than I have, but they are putting their community in harm's way by misinterpreting the scriptures and saying that meeting in person is the only way to do church and bring glory to God. I vilify these, le- these leaders in my head because I think I know better for them or that I know what the Lord is speaking to them. Listen, I don't agree with their stance. I believe it's reckless, but that doesn't change my responsibility based on what God's word says to love others who trust the same God that I do because I can love others without agreeing with all of their decisions, agreeing with all of their politics and agreeing with all their perspective. Imagine that. And by this, people will know that we are his disciples, Jesus says. He doesn't point to our stellar theology or our impeccable church attendance. 
He doesn't bring up our moral purity or our knowledge of Greek or Hebrew. He points to a disposition, a heart posture, which is to love one another. Church, this time's hard. I don't really know who exactly is engaging with our playlist. Outside of seeing people on the takeaway calls on Sunday afternoons and getting an email or a text from people sometimes telling me some takeaway that they had in the sermon, or I get to hear about some of you from a community group leader who wants to talk about what God's doing in their community group, or maybe I hear something from a staff member or an elder who tell me about how God has been faithful in your lives. But I also get to hear about difficult stuff Uh, in prayer requests, or when there is a need. These are the places that I'm hearing about the people of our community. But listen, that's not all of us. This might be, at best, a quarter of the community which is known as Church of the Valley. But I'd like to know how you're doing. So if you are a part of COV, if you consider yourself a part of COV, a participant, someone who's watching the playlist, engaging in the community, loves the Lord, and considers Church of the Valley their home, church. And even if that started since we started to shelter in place, or maybe you've been a part of the church for the past 67 years, or anywhere in between, I'd love to hear from you. So I don't normally give applications, but I'm going to give you an application. This doesn't make you any more holy. It doesn't make you any more right with God. I just want to know how the people of COV are doing. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to send me personally an email. Here's my email address. It's tim at covalley.com. And just let me know how you're doing. You can maybe answer one of these questions. It's on the slide. What has shelter in place been like for you? Or what's new? What's been hardest for you during this time? Or what have you seen God do in this time? Or how are you doing? See, I may not get very many emails this week. I don't know. I might get a ton. But I want to know who's a part of this community and is faithfully, consistently a part of the playlist and watching it. And I want to hear how God's using it in your life to put into practice what he's teaching you. So send me a quick update, please. Even if it's just, hey, I'm doing good, wanted to drop you a line because you asked for it. I mean, that's all you got to say and just put your name, that's it. But we don't have to feel isolated. We don't have to feel abandoned. We are not on our own if we're a part of this community and a part of God's family. So seriously, please, just send me a quick email this week. This is an application I want us to do this week. Because as days have become weeks and weeks have become months, I gotta be real, I miss you guys. I miss when many of you would walk onto campus, I would either see you as you were walking onto campus while I was standing up front, or I'd be at the door greeting people. I miss getting to see people worship together. I miss getting to hear a few of you respond to my sermons while I was preaching. I miss giving you guys hugs as you leave, and I miss seeing your faces and telling you to have an awesome week. These are things that I miss. And so, We live in a time period where there are opportunities through communication. Maybe more than six feet away, we need to be in front of a screen or it has to be a text or it has to be a phone call. But guys, let's use these common grace types of communication to make sure that none of us feel alone. All right, rant over for now. Verse 23, for you have been born again, Peter says not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter once again points to our salvation, 
that we are born again. We have been made new. We are a new creation. Our identity is not in who we were, but our identity is in whose we are. Our identity is not in who we were, but whose we are. And the seed, the seed that we have inherited has been born from God, and it is the Holy Spirit. No longer do we have a depraved nature that we all once were born of. That is not the nature we have to run towards because God has redeemed us. But he continues in verse 23 in the second half, through the living and enduring word of God, for all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field and the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter concludes that we know of as this chapter pointing to the power and the truth of God's word. Peter continues to point to the reality that God's word is enduring, and it is this gospel that saves man and woman to God. It is receiving this word through the seed, which is the Holy Spirit, and that word comes from God and the truth of his character and his saving nature, which is communicated to us in his word. We don't need a decoder ring But we do need the Holy Spirit and a teachable heart to learn from others to put the word into practice, which what Peter says is it purifies, it sanctifies, and it testifies to God's transforming work in our lives. And the word and his spirit and our salvation, they all endure, they continue, they are eternal because they are all part of God and his nature. So don't divorce his word and the spirit of God or his spirit and his word. They work in tandem as we love and obey God unto transformation of our lives to look more like God's son, Jesus. May we put into practice what God has said to us through his word and what he has convicted us of through his spirit for the glory of his name. So the name of this sermon, it was probably on the screen real fast at the beginning. It's simply this, Jesus is our holiness. And my hope is that we understand that we are not trying to earn anything. We're not trying to work our way to God. It is completely by grace that God has gifted us in faith that we could trust him for our salvation and the continued sanctification of his work in our lives. But I say that because there's two more things I want to say. First, the first one has to do with offering, and it's the opportunity for God's people to give of their offering. And some of you are financially struggling. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you aren't sure if your job's going to continue. I pray that God would show himself faithful, that he would use this circumstance to grow your faith. But I would encourage you that if you felt led to give because this is your church, if this is an act of worship, I'd encourage you to do that by either mailing a check to the address on the screen, or you can go to the website and you can pay for, or you can give via PayPal if you choose to. But don't do this because you feel like you have to. Do this because this is an act of worship that the Lord has given you to do. And then lastly, you probably heard it in the announcements, we're going to do in a few weeks a thing called Let's Talk COV. It's going to be a Zoom call, and I just want to get a bunch of people on the call to see faces and have a conversation. And so if you're over Zoom, I get it, but I'm still going to ask you to jump on this call to just be informed, to know kind of what's going on. What I'm trying to communicate everything that the elders and I are talking about and the staff, and we're trying to communicate that as much as we can in the playlist. 
but I want to hear from you guys. And so this is an opportunity to bring questions. You can talk, ask questions about the church currently or in the past. We can talk about some of the future things that we hope to try to do when it's a lot more safe. But guys, we want to see you. And so we're going to keep telling you about Let's Talk COV, which is going to be a Zoom call in an evening where we get to, as a community, come together. Thank you to those of you who are continuing to be on the takeaway call on Sundays. I've said it before, it's a highlight of the week for me, getting to see a bunch of your faces and hear your takeaways. And guys, straight up, I love you. And I am grateful to God that he has brought this community together, known as Church of the Valley, C-O-V, to make much of his name. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the men, women, and children that are watching this playlist this week and watching this sermon. And I ask God that you would help each of us be people that put into practice what you're teaching us. And God, I lift up your work through COV and I ask that you would take whatever offering is given and you would use it to multiply disciples of of different races and different backgrounds and of all different ages for the glory of your name. And God, I pray that you would help us as a people love one another, and be reminded that Jesus is our holiness. We don't have to strive. We don't have to guess if we're saved. We can know we are in right relationship with you, God, because of what your son has done and the faith that we have exercised in him. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.